I guess it was Malcolm Gladwell who said like he feels so bad for people in their 20s because they're not old enough to be good at anything yet and they're told that they have to figure out what to do with their lives and like that is a really a truism like for a lot of those times you're working on your craft you haven't had enough time to get good enough at your thing and I think giving yourself some grace with that like go, you know give yourself some time it, it's not you don't have to be amazing at it right away and especially in this industry you can really feel like you want to be you're listening to the talking 20 podcast this podcast is for you if you're in your 20s and you're thinking what the hell am i doing we've all been there and we want to talk about it we're your hosts bridget o'rourke and mary margaret courtney and we sit down with fellow millennials to chat about their journey and hear what they've learned along the way let's get started I was 17, I hit a patch of ice and an old oak tree School taking all the money I had So I couldn't afford to fix it and couldn't drive it like that You said you'd put it on my tag And I could pay you back Welcome back to another episode of the Talking 20 Podcast. Today we're very excited to be joined by London, Ontario-based musician and newly published author Patrick James Clark. Patrick is 27 years old and is just absolutely killing the whole using your creativity as your career thing. He's been a musician for years, focusing mainly in country music. He's had the opportunity to share the stage with Canadian country artists like Chad Brownlee, the James Barker Band, and the Reglaws, and he's made it into the top 10 of various singer-songwriter competitions. Probably all of them. All of the all that there could be, I'm probably a finalist and have never won. I'm like a permanent semifinalist. <laughs> permanent top ten. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and as we all know, 2020 was a super trying time for musicians given the pandemic. Uh, but Patrick actually emerged from lockdown with even more to his name. He's rough. He's written roughly 150 new songs for both his own projects and for use by many up and coming Canadian artists. He has his own line of merchandise, and he's also become a published author of a science fiction novel called Porters. Holy hell, this guy's done a lot. He's done it all. And all of these achievements are absolutely amazing and incredible. But we're sure that the route to get to where he is today hasn't been easy. So we want to dig down and find out about the true journey that Patrick has been on to get to where he is today. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you. That was a lovely... When you started reading, I was like, did I give them this bio? Like, I was like, some of that stuff, that's really, that's great. That's very comprehensive. I couldn't have done a better one myself. Perfect. Yeah, we, we did some we did some uh, internet digging. That's yeah. great. Thank you. Yeah. I feel, really, I feel really good coming into this now. Like, my ego's been really pumped up by that. And now, like, whatever, I'm just, I'm game. Yeah, I'm game for whatever. You've been boosted. <laughs> See, this is the goal. And then we get into the therapy session and break it down. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I'm, like, ready for it. Like, I feel so good now that I'm, like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'll answer yeah, anything. I'll take <laughs> it Which, off. technically, we brought you up higher to just bring you down further. Yeah, but for that's sure. Okay. Totally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You'll be neutral at the end. Yeah. You'll be neutral. <laughs> It's good. better. That's... So, Patrick, I actually know you from when we were little yeah, kids. Yeah, like a long time. Uh, yeah. So, Patrick was friends with my friend who lived across the street from me when we were like, I don't know, six, mm-hmm. which is when I met him. We went to the same school growing up. But you actually know Mary yeah. <laughs> in a completely different way, which is the way that Mary knows everybody. Go, okay. <laughs> Patrick, we've had like seven interviews where it's like so Bridget knows this person from something completely different and Mary knows right. them from Goga because that's the only place I know people apparently yeah yeah I was actually trying to remember because I remember meeting you and talking about Bridget yeah 
I didn't remember where it was and I didn't remember how we got to that point. I was trying to I was trying to place that too cuz I think in my memory the first time we met was at a Craig Cardiff show that you booked. Mm. You booked it in my hometown in Orangeville area. This makes sense. And I was like an I was one of the support acts but yeah. I I booked it through Craig's management and you had booked like so we didn't we didn't work together to book it and then we kind of met at it because you were sort of facilitating it. Oh my god, you're so right. It wasn't Coca. Sorry, Coca. But then <laughs> but then we met again at Coca because then Bridget and I ran into yes. each other again at Coca. But we hadn't seen each other in years. We probably were like little kids playing at the Aurora House at one point. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> probably like... all circled back. <laughs> oh, man. oh man, that's so funny. And then Bridget, we hadn't seen each other in years, and then we ran into each other, at Coca. Yeah. On, and and I was with that mutual Matt, my you know my best friend. We were living together in London here, and uh, we were all yeah. there at that event. Yeah. Together. I was like, oh my god, hi guys. Yeah, that was a fun <laughs> night. I'm pretty sure I was really drunk when that happened too, so it made it even better. It was like late. Yeah. I remember there <laughs> yeah. was a lot of tequila shots <laughs> yeah. and stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And now and now here we are all are like look at us and here we are yeah Yeah. all doing creative things with their lives crazy yeah trying to make it work you know Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) finding our way in this crazy world finding our way um so yeah let's uh as julie andrews said let's start at the very beginning okay for your journey in music so obviously bridget's gone through the extensive journey that you've had thus far but let's go back to where you've started did you come from a very musical family? Um, was music just something that you always embraced or did you find it at a later age? Yeah, I, I definitely started really young. I started taking music lessons when I was six and was playing drums. And that was like my main bag for most of my life was doing drumming. Um, my brother played guitar and he's five years older than me. So he was like pretty much, he was pretty in it when I started and, and was pretty competent. And then, uh, you know, I was playing drumming all through like high, doing the drums all through high school. And then I went to music school right out of high school um, for jazz drumming. That was like my first sort of foyer into music. And my brother had gone away to music school too, but my folks weren't really um, musical. My dad, like my mom could play piano. She was sort of like grade eight piano, but she'll be the first to admit like if it's not written on the page, she's like she's, she's not going to write songs. She's very like sort of technically proficient, but doesn't really um, use like the creative sphere, she'll say. So, but yeah, my brother was super, super musical and that, that was sort of like how I dipped my toe into it originally. Cool. So was that always kind of your plan when you were little? You wanted to, did you want to grow up and be a musician of sorts or did you have a different dream? Yeah, like, Certainly when I got into high school, it became like much more of a focal point of something that I wanted to do. And I'd started sort of playing guitar by then and sort of started to, started to sing a little bit. When I was like a kid, though, drumming, it was just sort of like kids took music lessons. You know what I mean? Like it, it was sort of a, a passive thing. I, I really had a passion for visual arts. I thought like um, cartoonist or drawing of some kind was like really what I had set my sights on. And then you know, creatively, like music was sort of in that sphere, but I was really interested in visual arts, like for most of my youth. And then once I started kind of writing songs, that sort of shifted my priorities a little bit, but um, it was all in the art world, I guess. Yeah. Cause when you have that creative, like Bridget and I both grew up very creative. And for me, it was never not an option to be doing something creative, even in a professional sense. Like that's my identity that's the stronger part of my brain it's all those things so for you growing up you a drumming is like very technically hard and so starting with that basis you must have got a really good sense of the fact that you obviously can hold rhythm or maybe you couldn't i don't know did you suck at the drums (laughs) (laughs) i was okay i got into music school for it so there you go so you're pretty good (laughs) not like uh what's that crazy movie with the guy 
Whiplash. Whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to know if that's realistic or not. Uh, it's. I would say it's not realistic. I mean, that was like a really that was like a Juilliard school, which I didn't. I didn't go to. Um, I went to like good music schools, but I would say like it was a. There is a sense of, it's like, it's it's not necessarily like the prestige of it, but there's just like a lot of pressure surrounding it. You know, it it's something you can't really accomplish or complete. So there's this sort of like inherent like if you're not always working on it, you're failing. Oh my and god! And I yeah. like. I didn't have any profs at like when I went to school at Mohawk in Hamilton um, for drumming, which I, I really loved my time there. But like it was a un- understood that you were practicing four hours a day. And if you weren't, you weren't doing it enough. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, and that was like it just seemed and that was I was like in a prep program. I wasn't even in the full fledged thing at that time. And, you know, some guys were just living in the practice rooms and uh, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy, but, right? Yeah. Because like music is. I mean, if you're looking technically at the skill level and maybe um, in a musical theory way, there are like ways mm-hmm. you can grade it. But it is a very biased thing for people to have their opinion or their feeling on what they like and what they think is good. And I remember that in school when there's something that's just like people's opinions on whether or not you're doing well enough, like practicing eight yeah. hours versus practicing four hours. But it's so attached to your identity. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you're the the idea of like identity is something i've been thinking about a lot because you know there's really there's nothing else i was could point to so in high school when i was like just learning to sing and just learning to play guitar and was like objectively pretty bad at it like people have an experience of me and don't really know me now and that's sort of their only experience of me as a musician and it's not great objectively <laughs> of like how good but there's nothing else that we tied your identity like if you're bad at your job like people don't have a judgment of you because you're not good at like your job at the bank. Like I worked at the bank for a long time and I was a mediocre like call center salesman and no one like at the job there was like, well, he didn't hit his numbers today. Like there was no passive, ju- but when you're a really bad singer, <laughs> like, you know, like it's tied to your identity. But I would argue that though, because it's, yeah. you weren't passionate about your bank job and you weren't passionate about the, that world. But like, I know people that you right. know, work in accounting and I hate that and I would never care, but they are very passionate about the success within their day-to-day job. I think where we like shift gears is when you right. as the person are the product, you put that pressure on yourself and you're assuming. So in your mind, you're going, oh God, I played at this cafe yeah. in grade 10 and all those people remember me and they don't know me now and they probably think I suck. But you're deciding that in your head that they didn't have a good experience because they very well could have been like, that guy was amazing. They're tone deaf themselves. So they don't know. They're just like fucking sure. great. <laughs> I mean, I recently saw I recently saw a video and I would say I would be pretty shocked if people thought it was good. But... <laughs> Uh, but what I guess I guess my point is it's it's also very public, right? So like, yes. as a it's a very public form to be identified as, and if you're not succeeding, yes. um, it's it's more it's I think it's just more intrinsically tied to your identity than something that is more like in you know introspective. You can reclusive. remove it's it. Not, yeah. It's not publicly, yeah, right. So yeah, it, it's very yeah, tied totally. to your identity. I guess is yes. point. but I do I do see your point for sure. Not that you can't be identified by your career if you're passionate about it. I just think publicly. Like when you get beers with your friends after totally. you like bombed at a day of work, they don't also know that you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And I, I completely agree with you. So at that time, did you know that you were bad and you had to like get through that mentally or did you think you were great? <laughs> 
If, yeah, I think about that a lot too. It's a great question. Um, if I knew, if I had an objective opinion of how talented I was, I would have quit. For really? Sure. Like looking back at like when I actually see, I saw some, some old footage and it happened recently because it was around my folks when like this sort of Facebook memory came up and I like watch it and I was like, man, oh man, like it is a tough <laughs> listen. And honestly, like it's a huge credit yeah. to my friends and my family because they were just like, yeah. like, just go, man. Like you got it. Like you're killing it. And if I didn't have that support, I would have stopped. And that's why I think there's just so much to be said about like, you know, you need that support system. Cause yeah, if I, and like also I, if you can't sing very well, you inherently can't hear that you can't sing very well. Like you're not great at identifying mm-hmm. pitches or you would be singing better. So um, yeah, I, but certainly like if I really had a clear lens, like if I could see now, then I, I probably would have like thrown in the towel. Well, Crazy. good thing you didn't. Cause here you are. I know. right? Yeah. I, I know it's really, it's a testament to my friends and family for just being like, we love it. Like keep trying. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah. And a testament to understanding, like when you're younger, it's about the process. Like you would yeah. just die to get up on that microphone. You would just die to get the experience. And so when you get it, you might suck, but you're like, if I'm here, I get to do this. And then as you get older, you get so critical of yourself and we get so technical in our heads and we take that experience away from ourselves. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think I think when I was younger too, there was so much like talk about stage fright and like the idea around it. And some people were just scared to like get up and do it at all. That because that wasn't really affecting me, I thought that was like the victory in itself. So just doing it was sort of like accomplishing it because there's so many, just so there's a big narrative about it. And public speaking is a very terrifying thing and, and not to diminish that. But for that time in my life, it wasn't something that bothered me. So the act of doing it was succeeding in my mind. So it didn't really matter how bad it was in a weird way. But, so um, would you say yeah. that you always had like a good stage presence when you were, you know, talking in between your songs yeah. that weren't very good? Was it was that part good? <laughs> I, I honestly think that's my strongest quality now. Like I think really like, like really, I think like I would call myself an entertainer before a singer. Not that I think I'm overly entertaining. I just think I'm a fine singer. I think I'm a serviceable vocalist. And I just like mm. but I like putting on a show. I like engaging with people on stage. So that's always been like a, a part I'm more comfortable with especially, um, you know, as I get older and, and write songs and like perform in different forums than sort of the coffee house in high school. The fact that as, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're looking at getting in the industry or they're in it right now and they're just like throwing their head through a wall because those little voices in them, ha- yeah. their head telling them they're not very good might be getting to them. What a nice perspective for you to say, well, you know what? Like, this is what I think my skills are. This is what I think I could be better at. But the reality is, is like I'm doing yeah. this as a career so here's like my product and here's how I move forward and not expecting yourself to just all of a sudden wake up and have the thought that you're an amazing singer. Like you're, you're never going to, no one, no artist in my opinion right. really gets up thinks every day and just thing. thinks I'm yeah, awesome. Yeah, totally. Right? So I think for you, like, is that, is that something that has, you think, helped you get to where you are? Or is this just like a conclusion you're coming to now? Um, no, I think, I think it's something I've known for a while in terms of just sort of understanding, having an objective view of like what lane you occupy and what sort of space you can occupy in the industry. And I think there's a threshold you have to cross of, you know, serviceability in terms of like, you have to hit a certain competence level to be a professional for sure. But there's going to be so many tiers above that that you have to sort of figure out where you're going to land. So once you kind of get through the doorway of like, hey, you're a you're a workable musician, you know, you can you can perform on, you can sing competently, and you can play your instrument competently. Then you sort of carve out your own niche. So you know, I maybe I would maybe say five years ago is when I sort of feel like I crossed the threshold 
um, you know, of musicality to be like, yeah, you're in the this sphere of like comparable singers now. And then I sort of carved out this more, yeah, it's more of a performative entertain. Like it's it's the songs are there and a songwriting is focused, but I'm never gonna be the guy. Well, maybe not never, but you're I'm right. You don't leave the show and be like, wow, Patrick, could you hear him sing? Like that was just like that's not what I'm trying to achieve. So it's sort of, you know, I'm trying to carve out a different space. Um, and you know, you keep working on it and maybe like in 10 years, it will be like the Celine Dion runs, who knows, but that's not sort of what I am shaping for myself. So, you know, um, it's kind of nice in a way cause you don't, the barrier to entry is lower than I think you might think when you see all these just fantastic vocalists. It's like, well, you don't have to be that good to get to work. Like, you know, you can have yeah. your own space in the industry. So it's all about the charisma. Sure. That too. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's like talent is like 10% of it. So <laughs> That's what we call him, Patrick Charisma Club. <laughs> it's mostly about like marketing. <laughs> um, yeah. So you mentioned to us your ups and downs through your career. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've been some of the best and worst moments in your 20s is your figuring out this industry, carving out your path, as you say. Yeah. And um, I mean, we can only imagine some of the struggles, some of the really obvious ones people talk about when you're a starving artist, singer, songwriter working to make your way through that world. Can you tell us more about that journey and some of the challenges you've had? Yeah, for sure. Well, as I said off the top, I am like a permanent semifinalist on on almost all. If you look at any music contest, you can probably see me as a semifinalist in one of them. So not taking the victory has been tough um, for the last several years. But okay, but in perspective, didn't didn't it take like 30 years for Meryl Streep to actually win uh, Oscar? She was always nominated, but never got it. Yeah, I know. But I know, but you say that because she's got it now, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, but yes. it never stopped uh, her from being Meryl, you know? <laughs> You'll have a good story when you do one day win this. You'll be like, I was just always the guy who never won. Yeah, finally when I sent you victory. <laughs> or start your own contest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Patrick Clark contest. You can only win if you're Patrick Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Charisma contest. <laughs> like 12 other Patrick Clarks come in, and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Damn it. I should. I know. I really should start something. Sorry. Yeah. But like certainly, no, but certainly like the industry as a whole is just volatile. Right. So, you know, for me as a full-time musician, like I didn't, I didn't work another job. The the gig economy aspect of it, the insecurity of like, you really have to know that you're only going to get to book out a month, maybe two months at a time of work and not know what's going to happen in that third month. And like you build relationships and things get more reliable, but there is never, um, a sense of stability or, or, you know, any sort of security that it's going to last. So I think you have to have a certain sort of ease with that. You have to make peace with that because it can be really, really challenging to plan ahead. And, and especially when you start planning out things with your life and, and other sort of financial responsibilities that you want to take on and knowing like, well, I know how much money I'm making in September, but I don't really know how much money I'm going to make in October. And, you know, depending on what happens, like that can also drastically change up or down and, you know, even like COVID, you know, you when that first hit in March and you saw like oh, three months of income go away and because everything closed down and you had no idea what was going to happen after that. And ultimately, like things worked out. But you have to sort of it is it takes a while to adjust to that lifestyle. And I think that that can be a really hard so, thing to wrap your head around. It's just the gig economy. So did you ever think that of like calling it a day and being like, no, I want to get something a little bit more stable or did you just want to keep pushing through? 
Yeah, right when I graduated from Western, so I went to music school for Western um, and graduated in 2019. And right kind of coming out of that in terms of like losing the safety and I sort of gigged throughout those four years, but you still sort of had the protection of being a student. And I had been not a student before I went to Western too, but um, yeah, right. I remember that like last kind of couple weeks of like finishing out exams and like, yeah, looking at like, oh, I got to move out of the student house. You're like, this is not like a, why, what was I thinking? Like, this is not a viable <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah. This is so dumb. Like, why am I doing this? Um, and that's settled. But there, you know, I think I've been really, really fortunate. And I talk about all the time that I don't, I haven't really gotten a lot of that outside pressure. Uh, like never from my family, really never from any of my friends of like, when are you going to get a real job, you know? And I don't think it would take a lot of pressure for me to go get a quote unquote real job. So I'm very grateful that they've never told me that because I think I would be like buckling immediately. Like, you're right. This is so unsustainable. Yes. Like, what am I thinking? <laughs> you're just like, waiting yeah. for somebody yeah. to tell you. <laughs> but everyone like really believes in it. So there I'm like, okay, we can, it'll, it'll work out. Um, yeah. But I think also once you sort of get the taste of like, oh, I can succeed, you know, you've made it a month and you've made enough money to pay rent and buy groceries. Like, okay, so it's a proven system. Like it does work. It'd be very hard mm-hmm. to get out of it knowing like, you know, maybe going to something you're not passionate about, you're doing for the paycheck, but knowing like, well, it's a hard, it's like a struggle, but it does work. So it'd be hard to, you know, get out yeah. of it now. Have you ever done anything yeah. else? Like as you were studying in school or uh even in between those things were you ever in some other job that you were like maybe kind of doing the bank thing was that just like a part-time yeah like I did that when I so I I worked at the the TD call center right when I moved to London um before I went to Western I lived here for a year and I worked there in a job and I like waited tables for a long time out of high school and through college um and then uh worked at like retail and stuff so I did a lot of those things and at that time was sort of saving money for bigger production opportunities that were coming my way. So I was sort of like a means to an end. Um, but there was never really, once I went into like college and university and all that stuff, music was always going to the focal point. So there was, I wasn't really looking at like, Oh, I wonder what other jobs I could do. That would be like a career. So to speak, that wasn't sort of like, I'll do this for six months and make money. Um, I mean, writing has sort of become another pillar of something I'm really passionate about, but even like, in third and fourth year Western, I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, it's going to be same gig economy. It's not like it's being a freelance writer is like the most stable career as a substitute to being a freelance musician, right? So. The reason I asked you about that is like, I was talking to Bridget today about just that entrepreneur lifestyle and having the constant fear of where your money's coming from. And if you're doing the right thing and the stress of that can be very nerve wracking. There is a lot of fear in that. And for young people that look at doing it, or even older people who might consider working for themselves through COVID, seeing a lot of instability in the economy, that was scary. Um, But everyone's got their own angle of fear that comes with this. And, And as a musician, like you're totally at the mercy of it, things being open or not. Yeah, a hundred, like a hundred percent. So, how's that been? Um, that beginning phase when everything started to lock down. Take us through what that those few months were for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. It. I. I would say I never really panicked at the onset because I was just confident. Like, I was so in the category of people that were like uncontrollably out of work because, like, 
I literally couldn't like it wasn't like the one place closed down like every bar you could play at closed down every venue you could play at closed down and I just felt like I had this assurance that the government would do something <laughs> I was like they have they have to tend to this like there's no way that I can be holding the bag that they closed down literally everything I could possibly do to make money so I I did feel that way and then ultimately they did and and I was you know really fortunate cuz I probably would have yeah like if I couldn't have worked well I would have to get like a different job I suppose that some something that was still essential but um so yeah, that was I wasn't panicked in in that standpoint, but it did sort of open up this door of like, what's the pivot point going to be? Because you know you you're playing 200 shows a year, and those are all gone now. What are you going to kind of occupy this space with that will also sort of help you earn income and and you know move your career forward? Because not that bar gigs are necessarily like the pinnacle thing to move your career forward, but you you can't sort of like just tread water then for 18 months. And and for me that turned into just like songwriting. The doors just really opened up. I started doing a lot of work um, in the film and television world and like sort of trying to get placements for film and TV and was writing with some really cool camps of people that were all in that sphere. So that was like the one fold and then writing sort of country songs and, and writing for myself and for other artists that took over kind of fully, you know, you know, every day of what I would be doing gig wise. So, yeah, you know, in, in last year, we wrote about 150 this year, you know, um, I think over that now. So sort of 250 songs in the last 18 months or so, which has been crazy. So you're spending all day, every day writing songs. What about when you get tired yeah. of writing songs? <laughs> <laughs> he sleeps. Yeah, it's a fair. It's I might be that right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there there was something that I sort of realized. So I should also mention in this time I was finishing the novel as well. Yeah, I want to get into that after. Yeah, um, yeah. but we'll put a pin in that. But yeah, so this the song thing, like there's this weird like there's certainly moments where you go into rights and, and mostly it's been all co-writing now through the pandemic where if you don't have an idea, there's like there is this weird sort of like fear like, man, like they're going to ask me what do I think and I have nothing to offer. Right. So something I sort of learned that is to always just sort of try to be prepared um, and sort of prep an idea before every sort of situation. And by way of that, they just it just sort of left room for excitement. So, yeah, there, I can't say I always want to write songs every day, but I also can't say that I don't. Like, it it really is such a, a wonderful experience that I was sort of saying to Christine, my girlfriend, about it. I was like, man, like, the rush I get when I book new rights or when I know I'm doing rights, it's it's better than when I was booking gigs. Like, I, I found more joy out of that. So... I think eventually there, a burnout will come and I sort of try and be mindful of how many I book in in a week. So I sort of creatively have something to bring to the table. But it is like the better you get at writing, the better you get at writing. So the more you do it, the better you get. So the easier it is. So it really mm-hmm. snowballed into this. Um, yeah, this this very there's certainly writes that were harder or things that weren't as enjoyable. But, they're, you know, the worst of it, you had a good hang and you wrote a bad song and, you, you know, it wasn't like the biggest deal ever. And you weren't yeah. driving to Toronto. To, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're in your yeah. house. It wasn't like you wasted four hours in the car to write a terrible song. You spent like two hours and you just sort of hung out and, and wrote maybe a bad song. And um, yeah, it was more just driven by like excitement. So um, I, I, I haven't hit a burnout yet, but I'm, I'm not to say that I wouldn't. <laughs> So you said that you've been doing writing for uh, like TV and movies and also for other artists. So what does that entail? Like you go in, you write something with somebody else, and then how do you get the song then to the TV station or the other artist? Yeah, it's a super like a labor intensive process. Yeah, it's it's a. I was doing some sort of courses on it too, and. There, there's a number of ways. Um, there are sort of these things called music libraries that you could just submit mm-hmm. songs to, um, and then they have the connection so that uh, music supervisors who play songs and 
film and television can go to those libraries and get them. Um, various publishers that, so I was writing people that had publishing deals that had connections. So there was sort of opportunities that people were looking for specific songs that we were writing to spec for. Um, and then sort of like personal relationships with music supervisors um, that just you sort of kind of build up over time as you find out who the players are in the world and you sort of can send music along if you think you have something fitting. Um, yeah, so it's, and, and I should say we haven't got anything placed. We got close on a couple things. We got close on like a Grey's Anatomy show and, and you know, a few commercials. But, you know, it's like it's one of those things where you get into like a thousand go in and then like 50 make it to here and then like 10 or, you know, so. The runner up. Yeah, <laughs> always in the top 10. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so financially, how does that work? Like, do you get a lot of money if something gets placed somewhere? Yeah, you certainly can. Like um, Canadian stuff is, is like just by all way of things is a little bit less money is involved in Canadian productions than American. But like friends of mine have gotten, you know, like car commercials and uh, and like TV show placements. And there's like, yeah, like a, a ton, a ton of money, especially in big like national commercials is like, like five figure. Thing. Uh, the jingle thing is sort of gone. Like it's really just real song, like real songs, but they're writing full songs. They're not like sort of 15 seconds, like they're, they're full partial songs that are being placed in these, in oh. these, you know, shows. And then, yeah, like a friend of mine recently got a, you know, a car commercial that I would imagine he hasn't told me personally, but I would imagine is like five figures for sure. Yeah, wow. it's pretty. That's yeah, cool. for wow. sure. It's a, it's a cool world. It's it's a hard world to get into, but it's really cool. And then what about if an artist were to uh, cut your song? Is that their correct lingo? I work in the music industry and don't even know how to ask that question. Cut it, <laughs> meaning like use yeah, it? Yeah, like they record it and put yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> the money side of that comes from royalties. So a writer, you you have a share of the... The okay. song as a writer and then whatever it gets generated kind of comes out and, and like what's called a mechanical royalty versus a writing royalty so like physically owning the song which the artist would and then owning the writing share which what the writers would own so yeah mm-hmm. for, if it goes to radio that can bring in money and if streaming does bring in a bit of money so it's sort of like a bunch of weird different streams but yeah you own a percentage of it technically interesting wow. all right that's complicated it, it actually it really is especially in like the the sync sphere you can get into a lot of trouble if like your business isn't buttoned up what they say yeah and i've heard i remember looking into it and then going i don't understand this but when streaming became such a thing that they changed some of the rights and how royalties get divided it's like streams versus literal purchases because it wasn't as simple as buying it at a store yeah and i remember it being like wow this is like very complex yeah what what i kind of come to learn is there's a lot of aggregators of royalties so i think a lot of artists might be surprised that they're not collecting all the royalties that they're entitled to because there's just other you know if it's on satellite radio if it's on like um internet radio that's a whole different sort of mechanism for collecting royalties and then streaming is you know so people have um what's called SoCan, which is so this is so boring for listeners but basically there's a lot of ways that bring in bring in money <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We've lost all seven listeners. Yeah, essentially, there's, there is a lot of mechanisms <laughs> up bringing money. So can, so what? So can't. So can't. Anyway. I was like about to deep dive into like the minutia of mechanical royalties. Like no one's going to care about this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Let's talk about that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then obviously like being a creative mind through COVID, you were able to like shift your thinking, come up with some new project ideas. That is the glorious part of being a creative person. We're yeah. able to pivot, as you say. Um, is that where the book writing idea came from? Um, the COVID stress? No, actually, no. Yeah, it actually wasn't. Um, the COVID really helped finish it because I was 
in March sort of up against some deadlines looking at how many gigs I had to go play and how much time I had to finish this book. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Um, so fortunately having like the schedule worked out, but yeah, the book, um, came about through Western. So I minored in creative writing, um, which was sort of just an answer to that. The music program didn't really have enough. The pop music program, which I was in, wasn't fleshed out enough to have a lot of courses. So if you didn't take a minor, you're going to be like in, which I did like philosophy and astronomy, like you said to fill out your, your program. So I sort of minored in like, what would be the most useful tool in, in sort of the sphere that I want to be in, which is songwriting. And, and that sort of led to creative writing. But the short version of the story is I sort of pitched this idea in a crime writing class. The like assignment was a novel brief. You had to like come up with an idea. And my prof was really, really passionate about it. So he sort of took me aside and, and asked if I would do an undergraduate thesis and like start writing out the novel and he would supervise cool. me. And it was a big ordeal because I wasn't an English major and you had to be an English major to do that. So he sort of like shepherded me through because he really liked this idea. Um, and then so like and a lot of cool things sort of to develop with that in that fourth year and particularly um he pitched it to this TV agent in Toronto that was really keen on developing it. So they attached like this Netflix writer and we were all in Toronto, like developing this TV show, um, which ultimately is kind of shelved now, but was really crazy and insane at the time. Um, Wait, it was, it was a TV show. Can you explain that? Yeah, okay, so it was sure. a TV show based on, on the book. Yeah. On this book idea. So wow. essentially on your book idea. Yeah. Like I had this idea and then he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Cool. So he sort of said, uh, my prof's like, hey, I really like this. I think my agent would respond to it. Like, do you mind if we send in like a one pager based off this book idea and see if they want to do something with it? And uh, they were really keen on it initially. Um, and so, yeah, they attached this this writer from Netflix. And we were all sort of like developing this idea for the summer of like how cool. we were going to sort of pitch out this show wow. and sell the show. And then sort of that was like, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Like even saying that, like it's it. I'm kind of like <laughs> understating it. It was insane. Like it was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. To be like, oh man, there's like actually like a TV writer involved in this idea I have. So um, it got shelved though. Why? Why COVID? Yeah, COVID was like a a big player of it. It kind of got shelved initially because that writer got like basically scheduling issues and was going to get staffed up on a show in the fall and then couldn't really be attached to like developing this project. So then it was sort of like, it was like kind of hiatus for like a few months and then COVID sort of hit. So it kind of got shelved further. Right. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah. It, I mean, that door is like not closed, but it sort of like got shelved enough. That I was like, well, I'll focus on finishing mm-hmm. the novel and then, you know, revisit that idea if that door is open right. when I'm done. Um, and then I ended up going to Humber College and doing a postgrad in writing where it was like, if you have a basically what I had at the beginning of a book idea, you get partnered with an author, uh, you know, a Canadian author, and you finish out the novel with him sort of like as your mentor and like your advisor and helping you sort of develop it. So I did that. And then when I graduated that in like 2020, I guess it was right you know, when the pandemic hit and I sort of had mostly a novel wow. done. Um, and then I sort of carried it over the line with sort of a pup of this, this great publishing company in B.C., and then ran a Kickstarter in March to like launch it, which for you know we're really grateful that we got funded. And now the book is like it's coming out this like September. Wow. It's coming oh out my god, month, I didn't realize like, it was awesome. coming out. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. No, we totally knew we did this on purpose as part yeah, of so your we, PR yeah. uh, <laughs> release. That's yeah. <laughs> it's it's good timing. Yeah, it's so like the end of the summer, like September. You should be able to find it like on Chapters and Amazon and Walmart and all the places you buy books oh that's awesome okay will it be on audible and will you be doing the audio uh it, <laughs> it won't be on audible yet uh that was like a stretch goal for our kickstarter that we didn't hit but it's it's in the cards for sure it's like an op the publishing company okay. i did it with um that's something they facilitate and it could uh could be coming out yeah well stay tuned <laughs> 
That's cool. <laughs> Let me know. Yeah, that's like a wow, super long-winded story to how that book came about. But yeah, some crazy stuff in there. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's, these were all our questions. We're yeah. like, how, why, and where did this book come from? Because, yeah, because what? it just seems so like yeah. when people when you say you wrote a book, when we say you wrote a book, we're interviewing this musician. People would think that like it's like some sort of biography totally. or yeah. like a memoir or something. And then I'm like, looked it up, and it's like, mm, nope, it's a crime thriller science fiction. Yeah, yeah. which is funny, like. And I, yeah, like your, like the, the disconnect is the same for me. Like, it's just a weird thing that happened, but it, you know, I used to think too, like, oh, I'm so glad I write songs and not books. Like that was a real thought I had because I was like, it must be so hard to write a novel. I'm so glad I'm never interested in doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like four years ago, I would think that to myself as I was like struggling in music stuff, like, oh, at least I'm not trying to write a novel. And then I went <laughs> and did it, but it it's just like an example of, I think, just seizing opportunities that come your way that are interesting. You know, like it was, it was a course that I didn't even really want to be in at the time. It was conflicting with a gig I had to do. So I was like, maybe I'll drop it. And then, you know, fortunately stayed into it, came up with this sort of idea. And then, you know, it just kept proposing, like, you know, people started getting interested in it. So it came down to like, I do have a really big passion for storytelling and and writing in general. And this was a really cool thing to explore. And I'm really grateful that I got to, and it isn't certainly, yeah, it has nothing to do with the music sphere, but it, it really ties into just what I enjoy doing, which is really writing in general. And, and it's cool to get to, you know, get to have that as a pairing to the music career. Did you ever run into like writer's block? What what were some of the difficult parts of writing this novel? Yeah, all of it is hard. Like it's hard to do. Um, there yeah. was no part where I was like, this is a like, I don't know why everyone doesn't write a novel. Like I totally understood how difficult it was. Um, certainly doing it within the the structure of Humber and Western and and the the schedule you had to keep because you had to submit pages right. was super helpful because I can totally see why like when you get stuck you just don't submit anything but I heard this quote one time about someone talking about writing a book saying like you can't steer a car that's parked and I really like for whatever reason that resonated with me so truly of like just like keep writing it and like even if it's garbage just like make the characters move get to the next thing you do know what works and like you know that first draft was so bad in a sense like it was it was fine but like there was a lot of stuff that didn't make sense there was a lot of stuff i was like i'll figure this out plot hole later and and then that really became like an analogy i take forward in life of like yeah you can't steer a parked car so like just kind of do the next thing and write the next page and um you know you kind of get it done because it the middle like once you get 100 pages in and you're like i have like 150 pages left it's just like it is a really weird space of like how am i ever going to land this plane like there's just no way to bring this thing to an end but genuinely like this idea of like just figure out what this chapter is and and then you know figure out the next one later but it was really helpful But what a good exercise because like with songwriting you're gonna you know your next album you might have deadlines you need to hit or like you've been talking about doing all these songs it's and it's the thing with creative people that people sometimes i got hard down on myself when all my job was creative and i didn't have any other you know part of my brain that had to be uh you know more about like what's the other side it's i'm getting stuck because i'm all creative like left brain right but like analytical yeah which is like now not a thing apparently so i was trying not to use it but yeah (laughs) not using the other side of my brain and i would get down on myself and have to remember like this is all creative you're using one strong muscle here give yourself a break like Mm. find those times where you can like take a rest or i heard you talking on an interview about like go watch tv because sometimes like a great idea comes from that or 
take a break yeah. from doing the thing, but you, and then that syndrome of like, I got to be working. I got to fill those hours. If I'm not filling those hours, I'm not working. Totally. And it's true. And, and when I finished Humber and basically had like the first draft, but it was completed, like I typed the end. That must've felt so good. The fucking end. <laughs> <laughs> I should take out the fucking. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just knew the book wasn't done. So like it was, but there was a draft of it and then it was so close to being done that I felt like, you know, I really want to carry this over the line. And not that I thought it was going to like sell a million copies, um, but it did have a lot of sort of like, there was a snowball effect to it that people were really passionate about it and my professors were really passionate about it. And and so, yeah, you know, when I sort of ran this Kickstarter, I was like, well, if we can do, if we can fund like publishing it, then, you know, that'll sort of be the answer. So I'll make sure it's like ready to go for that. And um, yeah, it's been such a wonderful, I mean, it's been very stressful, but it's really like, you know, like a month ago, I had my living room full of books that people had already bought. Like, you know, I had That's cases so cool. and cases of books that were sold. It wasn't like I have to do it. Like these were all going somewhere. And it was it was such a surreal feeling. I can't really articulate it. It was so cool. So how does publishing work? So after you have this book done, yeah, then you find a publisher but you have to pay to get the book published. They don't like. Yeah, there's there's certainly like a lot of ways to do it. Um, I basically took like a hybrid of self publishing. So I I worked with a publishing company that yeah it was self funded by like the Kickstarter to to publish it, but they had the distribution infrastructure that they could you know distribute it through all of the main channels that people buy books online, and it was print uh, like print. Oh, what am I trying to say? Like print on demand so you didn't have to like stock bookstores which is which is a really big cost and a really big risk so if you got like a publishing deal where you didn't pay and they fund the whole thing you know you're you're paying back in advance and it's the same way in the music industry that if your book doesn't sell which it usually won't because you're a first-time author and nobody knows who you are um you know you have to buy back a lot of the books that go out to the bookstores and you don't pay back your advance like it can be a really you know it, it sounds like a good traditional way to go but with the new opportunities, like especially like this company that I worked with, yeah, if you can fund it yourself, then you don't have any risk of like if the book sells uh, one copy, you know, you've got that book out there, but you have to front that money yourself. So being able to partner with their distribution channel was really the best case scenario. And, and you also own it 100%. So now that, you know, if you get a lot of clout and you like a traditional publishing deal comes your way, you can sell your book that way and then go through a, like a bigger channel. But it was sort of like best case scenario for me because I knew like, you know, certainly if, you know, you have this big fantasy of a big publishing deal and a big advance and all that stuff, but it just isn't really how it works for first time authors. And you could get yourself in a big bind and not really kind of achieve what you want to do, which with me, I just wanted to put the book out and it is sort of a side hustle. My main thing is music, but I thought, you know, if I could sell like my goal is if I can sell a thousand copies, I would be really, really proud of that. Um, you know, and that's not something like maybe a major publisher needs to help me with. That's something I could probably facilitate on my own. Cool. So, um, yeah. How many have you sold? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, yeah. Like I think right now we're like 220 have been sold wow. um, through the Kickstarter that's and amazing. stuff. So that's been pretty cool. It's yeah, not officially great. out yet. Yeah. It's just, just from people who pre-ordered it. Basically there was a couple sample chapters available and, uh, it's been cool. People have like finished it already, which has been very crazy to like hear reviews of stuff. It's been, it's been insane. It's been so wonderful. So do you get all the profit from that then when you sell them? Yeah. Because you you own it a hundred percent. That's really cool. There, I mean, if you, I guess there's cost to printing it, right? So like if I buy Mm. them, I have to print them and stuff, but yeah, in terms of like profit, the revenue comes back to me. Yeah. That's fantastic. And is it just as scary as putting out a song? Like putting um, that out and being like, it's done. We're ready to sell. 
it was really scary to finalize it mostly from like a typo perspective like when you can't change it anymore and it's like locked there is an anxiety to that oh that's my worst nightmare right <laughs> but you wouldn't sleep i'd right. be like okay there's typos it's fine be like i will go through every letter of this yeah book. you, you <laughs> think you can do that and then you've read it so many times you, you can't find them anymore yeah so I was really great. I had a great editing team and I had a couple other people like in my family that were helping me. My dad's a retired English teacher. So like it was oh, getting amazing. vetted um, hard and the editor I worked with was amazing and caught a lot of stuff. So I did feel confident. There is a stress knowing it can't change, but there is like this underplayed like I'm a musician. I'm not a writer. So like the if you think the book's only okay, well, I don't know how to write a book. So that's a huge win. <laughs> like, like what did you expect? I, write, I don't want to write a book. So it was it was great that. that like uh i just have to interrupt <laughs> bartender matt just brought me a negroni oh, tell bartender matt i could Sorry, hear him making magic. the whole thing yeah. oh, <laughs> no. he really wants his he wants to be like the anomaly in the background of like who's that guy it's bartender matt and we always just have right. cocktails i love it want, what yeah. a great side character for yeah, the yeah he is like nobody will ever see his face it's just like cocktail a hand with cocktails comes in but that's why I had to interrupt you because if I just like started drinking this and said nothing, he'd be like, I didn't make no, this okay. for you. I made it for the show. Yeah, of course. Of course. Everyone, can you hear that? Uh, the drink. I love it. Doesn't it I sound love delicious? It. I wish I was there. Man. Sorry. Go no, back to what you were saying. Yeah. No, all, all the same, like the, there was a lo- there was a lot less pressure because I wasn't trying to come out in the foray as like a novelist, as a writer. It was something mm-hmm. I was passionate about and I am really proud of and I do think it's a good a good novel. But like... I really just want to hear if people like it. Like, I don't need criticism of this. Like, I tell my friends, like, hey, if you don't like it, yeah, don't don't tell me if you don't like it. Just say nothing. And if you like it, just tell me that. Like, and if you find a typo, don't tell me that yeah. either. <laughs> I can't That's change okay. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need to put that on the back. Thank you yeah. so much for reading. If you didn't like it, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> it might die. Yeah, Patrick. It's like I just need to hear positive yeah. things about this because this isn't like you know and. Maybe there'll be a time when, like, yeah. I really need, okay, I'm writing the sequel. Like, give me everything that didn't work about the first one. But right now, it's just, like, a really cool thing that's in the world. But you ask, you always ask very specific people sure. when you want that, right? Like, I, Bridget and I do this where we're, like, we know who we want our criticism from. And if it comes from the wrong person at the wrong time, it's shattering. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. I was also going to say, like, I identify with that so much because, yeah, I had people, like, sending feedback about one of the episodes that I did, and I didn't want to hear it if it was about the content in the episode because the episode (laughs) was already out. So I was like, unless it's constructive to move forward for me, I don't want to know because then now I'm going to be scared to put out things that are controversial if you're going to tell me about the content. Maybe later once I'm more comfortable with putting out episodes and stuff like that, but as at the beginning, all I wanted was anything that would help me with the next episode. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And like in, in that point, it's like, you know, it's it's done. Like the book is done. Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't tell me like I didn't like this person. Like I don't that helps me not at all because I'm not going to write probably another book in like the near future. So <laughs> good for you. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, they're there yeah. and they're written yeah. in the book. Oh, you didn't. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So it's been great. People have, and and to be fair, everyone has said really lovely things about it. That's and great. like the best, you know, my sister-in-law read it and she's like, it's really great. Like, I don't, she's like, I'm not a sci-fi or a crime thriller person. Like, so it's not for me. 
but it's a great book. And I was like, that's like the best compliment ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah. it's not my cup of tea. It's like, that's what you'd say about a real book. And this is just me writing it. So like, you know, those types of things, I, I get a lot of joy. I was like, oh, people are treating it like a real piece of fiction, which is really validating. That's awesome. That's are, do you want to write a sequel or do you want to do another book at some point? Or are you like, screw this? <laughs> yeah, it's it would be like, I think there would have to be a, I couldn't do it of my own desire, you know, like mm-hmm. it, the the structure of being in school to finish it. I think like this book would have to yield some success. And if the TV show kind of came back into the world or right. so if it got picked up by another publisher that then they wanted one, that would certainly like I could do it and it's set up and I do have some ideas, but it isn't something I would do as a passion project. Right. There would have to be a driving force to do it because it's just really hard to do. I don't think I would finish it if I started again. So if it becomes a Netflix show, Bridget and I have roles? Sure, yeah. There's a lot of people signed up for Dead Bodies on this. Like in my friend circle that I've told this story to, they're like, Dead Body. (laughs) Do you think we could be like live bodies? Yeah, like I want lines. Yeah, now that I'm signing, yeah, I can, yeah, whatever. It's my show, right? (laughs) This fictitious show that I don't have. All your friends are on it. It's just like nobody knows how to act. There's like no, it's just cameo after cameo. It's just like, it's just a shit show. Patrick Friends. I love it. That's amazing. Uh, okay, well, this this next one, is, this is a loaded question. So like I said in the intro, you came out of lockdown with 150 new songs. A whole new brand. Was the branding that you have now, did you develop that through lockdown? Like all the colors and stuff? Like the, yeah. I, yeah, I, like the colors, the feel, the, the different, yeah. like you're doing originals only Mondays yep. and stuff like that. Was that all stuff you developed in lockdown? I would say so, yeah. Like I sort of had that branding we it, it was always sort of evolving, but I would say like over the last eighteen months is when it went sort of full fledged in terms of like carving out an identity. I would say so, yeah, for sure. Right. So then you so you did that. You have merchandise up now. You have a great website. Your first published well, book. Um. So how the hell did you do this all within like the past eighteen months? It <laughs> seems like everything kind of yeah. just came up. I know where most of us were just eating chips on our couch and crying. Exactly. Like I came out of lockdown. Mary and I came out of lockdown with this podcast in very preliminary stages and it took up all my time. Like where you're at right now is kind of where I see myself in two or three years with this. So how did you end up doing it all and getting it all like up and running? Right. Well, Bridget, I do follow you on social media. So I will say you also came out of COVID super jacked. So you also worked on (laughs) that. Thank you. So you had some other things going on. Um, But yeah. Well, I, you know, I would love to, to take that compliment as like, that's how it happened. And I think there was so much moving around it that like, I think a lot of things came to fruition in COVID that, you know, had their inception far before, like the book finished up in COVID, but really was a three-year process. So I think there right. is sort of like, I don't want to demystify it. I'd love to be like just a huge go-getter, but like, yeah, those things, I, I didn't write a book starting in COVID and then publish it at the end of COVID. Like that would have been right. probably un- unachievable to do anything else. But to the point of like, I think kind of the broader part of the question of like, you know, there is a way that I sort of try and view my career now in in terms of prioritizing what I think has a lot of value. And a a big part of that is that social media element or the sort of um, availability of your, your brand and things like that, right? So I did put a really concerted effort to making sure that while the world locked down, the world knew what I was doing and knew where I was and knew I was working on things. So I think a lot of artists... um, and, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but there, there are artists that I think kind of just took a break and they sort of went into the 
the you know the they sort of stepped away from the limelight and COVID lockdown, and that's totally understandable because there wasn't a lot to do. And I just wanted to take the one hundred percent opposite approach, and I wanted to make sure that like everyone in the industry, as far as that they were aware of me, were still aware that I was still working on it and still like you know making sort of progress on things. And that was a really conscious decision because I thought, well, you know, this is like probably an, uh, there's probably going to be some opening. In, in the industry like there's going to be opportunities that come out of this and if people keep you in mind this will be a good time to strike so that was something i was right. just really aware of and and then getting to write the songs that was like something i had more time to do so then that kind of became a capitalizing on like well i can work with way more artists and that kind of spreads your name around to other people to other people to other people so that was um yeah that was sort of the intention behind that and then Ultimately, yeah, there's probably just some luck that a lot of cool things got to wrap up. So then, you know, as new music comes out and then the book comes out and then, you know, people are cutting your songs all all together. So you're like, here are three cuts this week and my song and my book. And it, it's great to sort of package it that way. I will say it certainly doesn't feel that way, I think, as we can all relate. Yeah. Like your successes are like great and, and you're sort of outwardly trying to show a brave face while you like are crippled by insecurity um <laughs> but no, it's like really good to hear that because it's sometimes you're like i feel like a bag of shit why does that person right. look like their shit is so well kept together so just hearing you yeah feel like you have crippling anxiety is really helpful sure. it's right really yeah helpful. of course well i'm glad i can help with that um because i certainly do as as i think all artists do but yeah i think it it became like it just became interesting when you were really had your back against the wall when like the odds were really against you. it's like hey how are you gonna succeed in this because now you've gotten like 70 percent of your income taken away and opportunities taken away so how are you gonna make sure people know what you're doing and know that you're still a player in the game and um yeah i i ultimately and i think i did a good job of that over the pandemic i'm really proud of of what sort of was presented throughout that time and, and hopefully that yields some cool opportunities down the road i think there's a lot of people that are going to come out of covid and be like man what a waste of time like you forget the stress and the trauma of it and the right. unknown. Like we all look at it now. We're like, it was a full year. And you think yeah. like, oh, if I had a full year, what could I do? But at the time. It was two weeks at a time. Yeah. Like yeah. we didn't know. Mm -hmm. It is It is easy for us to look at you and be like, man, that guy used his time wisely. And like, man, Bridget just killed it in the gym. <laughs> and it's like right. telling that narrative right. of like, I used my time wisely during COVID. And someone said this to me because they lost yeah. like 40 pounds and I'm happy for them. They look healthy and amazing. And they're like, well, I just use my time wisely. And I stopped them and I was like, you had the time to spend wisely. Like some people weren't given that or right. it was a very stressful time for them that they didn't have that ability. And for you, it looks like <clears throat> when we read this, we're like, man, COVID really worked for him. But obviously you had hard days like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's great you mentioned that because I, I am sort of the first to point out, like, I was probably the most fortunate through the pandemic in the sense of I didn't have any children that I was taking care of. I was fortunate I qualified for government benefits, so I wasn't worried about losing my home. You know, none of my family got sick. I didn't have to take care of them. I didn't have any grandparents that were in danger. Like, I was in sort of the prime pocket to, like, you got just really time and you do have yeah. some sense of security from the government like as a freelancer musician you like well you can't work until this date and they're going to take care of you until that date so you know there was a I was in a, a mindset that was like well what am I going to use this these two weeks because you were really looking at it probably in a month at a time You're like I'll be able to go back to work in May and then probably in June like you know you weren't looking at yeah. it a year but you were like well I've got three weeks now and I don't have the 
the the those big those big words. I had my own sort of issues, but I wasn't worried about the you know the well being of my family or things like that. Right, the COVID issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, outside of what we were all worried about, it. So yeah, I was I was really fortunate that I could utilize the time. And I think if I knew it was a year, maybe yeah, maybe I would have looked at another job or something to time me over. But you always thought you were going to go back to work. And mm-hmm. until you weren't. So it was like, you just kept kind of like, well, here's another two weeks to let's write as many songs as we can write. But like you said, I didn't have enough time to do that when I was playing 200 shows a year. And now I did. So I was really going to capitalize on that time because that was an opportunity presented to me. But you're you're just so right that you can't compare anyone's journey through it one way or the other. You know, like I have a lot of friends that are upset because I gained a lot of weight through COVID. And like, it's just, it's so individually how you yeah. dealt with you went through it like there was no one had like the same circumstance so um mm-hmm. yeah i really am, am so grateful about that and i certainly don't think no. anyone had it easy but we do like bridget and i'll be the first to say working from yeah. home was life-changing and like for bridge she's like i can optimize totally so much more like she felt if i'm speaking for you bridget but i've heard you say <laughs> it more than once like you you set up your office and your desk at home and you're like, look at all the work I get done when I don't have to worry about all yeah. these other yeah. factors. And so it was a positive experience for you. And I think those are still appropriate reasons to talk about, you know, why you achieved something yeah. during COVID. But I think also like there, I'm sure there are days we could have been a fly on the wall where we're like, man, Patrick's really struggling. Like, I hope he can get back to work yeah. soon. <laughs> I hope he gets back on his feet. Like this looks not good for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think there was a great. I was riding a high through the summer. I think like November hit, and I was like, "Oh, this is not like going to shape up from good old PJC here." And then, like you know, you get out of it. But yeah, yeah it was a roll. It was a ride. It was a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we were going back into another. Like I think in November we were all like, "Oh, yeah, darn it, <laughs> it's not done. <laughs> this isn't going yeah. away. <laughs> we're not done. We're going back." Yeah, I've I've felt the same the same way with being able to optimize my time and also feeling like I was very fortunate over the past year because like yeah. you didn't have too many people to worry about sickness wise yeah. in my family and I was able to just kind of take the time to reset and really discover, you know, who I am and spend that yeah. time just kind of working on myself and I know a lot of other people also the age that we're at yeah. Given that we didn't have any other things that we were scared about throughout the pandemic, it's really nice to have like a reset at 27 years old and be able That's to great. be like, okay, so what next? Because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So it was it was a good yeah. year for that, for our age, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think outside of the fact that you basically got a year older and feel like nothing moved, like that, yeah. you know, like <laughs> you, I've had two COVID birthdays, so like I went into it at 25, I, I guess, right? Like oh I turned 26 right at COVID and then went twins. And so, like, in the stasis of, like, man, what a, what was I doing two years ago? And you're like, I was doing Whoa. this. Like, there, there is a disconnect <laughs> yeah. of, like, oh, I thought by the time two years had gone by, I'd be way further. You have to, like, you have to mitigate that. Because if you let yourself spiral out on that, it'll be very bad. It's like we were on pause <laughs> for a year. <laughs> two years. Yeah. Okay, so on this topic, though, you live with your girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Did you guys move in during COVID or before, before. COVID? Before. We moved in, I guess, we, yeah. The summer of 2019. So it hit. We'd been together for like a year in this house, I guess, before it hit. Okay. So did you find COVID accelerated the relationship in terms of living together? And I mean, I know you guys have been together for a really long time, Mm -hmm. 
But as much as time has stood still in terms of the person you went through COVID with, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was really wonderful. Like, I don't know if it's, it's interesting because, you know, we actually were long distance for a couple of years. Like she was in Calgary doing her master's and then she was in Toronto working as a designer and I was in London. And um, so living together was also our first time kind of really getting to be in the same city at the same time too. Um, So I feel like it accelerated itself a lot in, in that regard, but the COVID aspect of it was really wonderful for the two of us being together. Um, we were both freelancers, we're both entrepreneurs, so we did work a lot like while being in the house together, and I think that was a nice change. She's a she's a tattoo artist now, so she's usually out of, for the day. She's actually not even home yet because she works like just crazy hours. Um, so it was great to sort of like be in it together in the same sort of career sphere. You know, she's freelance art, and I was freelance music, so. It, we did sort of go into that development stage together and that was really nice. And then the relationship, yeah, I would say like if it wasn't going to work, you'd probably find mm-hmm. out this year, you know, like I think that would be a good statement. And, and for us, like there was not, no point where I was like, man, are we ever going to see other people? Like I do feel really great. Maybe I take that for granted that it went so smoothly, like there was no like COVID explosions, but it really was a wonderful, Aww, wonderful time. So and nice. I miss that she's not in the house anymore because she's back working. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and, yeah that's and I'm great. glum about it all the time. So. It's a wonderful sign. I mean, I'm happy she's working, but it's like, oh, remember when we were like home all day together all the time? I was like, that was the best. (laughs) So you said you guys are both freelancers, entrepreneurs. Has that ever posed, like, have you ever been worried about that for your financial future being together? I know a lot of the time when somebody's an entrepreneur, the other person has like, yeah, great stable job, nine to five (laughs) stable (laughs) job. So what kind of like fears come along with that? Yeah. Um, I would, I would say I would be more worried if she was more in in my status in the sense of like she's just incredibly successful (laughs) so like (laughs) she's already like shot past the tier of like insecurity and it's just like well she is really stable in in her freelance job um so that is there is like my own fears of like hoping i get successful soon enough to allow us to kind of go to other stages of our lives together that's like something i think about because there is such an insecurity and like you know, if we were moving at the same speed, then we'd probably have a lot of financial insecurity because we're both like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next month. But now it's like, oh, she's actually skyrocketing her career and I'm going a much slower. You know, it's a it's a one of those extrapolated you know, curves of like you shoot up really quickly. But when you're in the slow part, it just feels like you're taking forever. So, you know, the fact that we're at different stages. Do you guys find you have different goals and other couples might knowing that you're both, you know, it. It just kind of depends on how things go over the next few years. Do you have goalposts that may be different from the average relationship? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in the sense of what she does, for like her, she was pretty successfully known. Like she had a very big social media following before she went into tattooing. And then when she did it kind of skyrocketed even further. So, you know, she's booking up. She books up so quickly, months and months at a time, that there is sort of a stability of knowing like what's going to be coming. And so, in that in that part, there's a little less fear based around that. But like, yeah, in regards to global, something we sort of talked about too is like, you know, we are really like something I say is like, you know, we're living non traditional lives, so we can't have expectations of non like of traditional goals. Like, we decided to do something that we really like, and that is not really the the beaten path. So we can't be upset that that means like. We have to do things a little out of order or a little unorthodox of like, yeah, you know, there's sort of this idea of like you get married, you buy a house, you have a kid, like 
the sort of you know maybe 1950s goalposts of like what we sort of map our lives around but like well you know if we buy a house before we get married maybe that makes more sense or like there was we i think we're just Mm -hmm. really open to whatever makes sense for us so I, i do think like the pressures of what maybe would be like societal pressures of like what are we doing with this relationship and how are we moving it forward i think that we certainly now more than ever are just really at peace with like it's moving forward the way we want it to move forward and and you know we're really we're happy with that so you know if we have a lot of plans about like moving and stuff in terms of you know la is a big scene for what she does in the tattoo world and it's obviously a big music scene and nashville's a big scene for music and also tattooing so the idea of like, well, maybe we don't want to buy a house right away because maybe we want to have the flexibility to go to LA in three years and stay there for six months. Or So I think mm-hmm. those possibilities excite us more than we're worried about, you know, any sort of goal markers. I mean, I'm speaking on her behalf. She right. might not think. <laughs> no, I feel pretty confident that that's, <laughs> <laughs> she's listening. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's very millennial of you guys to just keep an open mind about like, you know, moving to yeah. a different whatever that country right. yeah. <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> moving to a different country like that just keeping your options open i feel like that's just very a very millennial mindset and i love it yeah thank you i, I mean it's certainly not something i like we certainly you know have days where you worry about it or you're like you know there is stresses that go along with it but i think for the most part we're just we're just really happy doing the way doing it the way we're doing it right now and i don't think we're in any hurry to you know, limit options for ourselves. And, and so, yeah, that's kind of why we're doing it this way. <laughs> so are you working now? Are you back out there doing gigs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, like in the traditional sense of like gig, gigging, working. Um, definitely. Gigging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing playing live music. Uh, really busy in August and September. And then October is looking good too. So we'll, you know, fingers crossed again that it doesn't lock down. But fortunately, right now, it's really patios too, but also indoor live music is back too. So it's been great to sort of actually play shows and friends of mine have been playing festivals again and it's like kind of really coming back to some version of what it looked like, which is great. How is it feeling? Is it totally different? The same? Harder? Easier? It, it, uh, people are really receptive to it. Like I've certainly noticed a huge difference in the, the reception of just people who are like, man, I didn't realize how much I missed this. Like there's been a really warm reception from the audience. Um, in regards to like, I've played a few indoor bars that like everyone's doing the right things in terms of precautions. No one's being outlandish, but you're like, this doesn't feel great. Like there's a lot of people in here and I've got like a plexiglass shield in front of me. And I don't know. I mean, like I understand that's like the safest thing to do, but you just, just like, it is probably an adjustment to see that many people again. Like you're just yeah. not used to, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, feel safer being to just up, be like, at uh, home. <laughs> Yeah, or, or playing all. on a patio is like there's so much space, but when you're in the club, you know, there is like an element like this doesn't feel like normal again. So maybe that'll go away too, but you just like your culture shock to it, I guess. Right. Yeah, totally. So are you working on anything else right now besides all of the things that you're currently working, working on, on? <laughs> that we've talked about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not doing yeah. enough. Um, well, I, so I just put out a song very recently. So I'm sort of in the throes of some grassroots sort of marketing with that and sort of building out some campaigns um, to help sort of promote that song. But then, yeah, hopefully going into the studio, um, probably October time now to record some new music that I'm really excited about. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward because basically I haven't got to... We put up this. We put up two songs in the pandemic. Uh, one called "For the Record" and one called "Pay You Back," and those were sort of written within the confines of the pandemic. But like we said, we were writing so many songs. I'm just really eager to get to go record some of these and, and get them out into the world. And yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm on this sort of TV show thing right now. Um, this like artist competition called The Shot. What? 
Yeah, which is like this uh, cool. sort of like it's a Canadian. It's like a songwriter's TV show competition. So that's like still going on. At the finale is on October second, and we're in like the top six right now of that. So it airs every week. So that's sort of like in the midst. This what? could be your this time. Could, <laughs> this could be it. I could maybe take a victory here. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> You could maybe take a victory. That's awesome. Let's see. Well, like from what it sounds like, you know the results already. Uh, we don't. We don't know us. the results. No, there there is pre-taped stuff, but like I we're don't. into the live airings. I think maybe this week. So I I know like I think we're up to top six, and I know I'm in that. And then there's stuff that the, the finale will be live. Okay, guys, let's get him <laughs> to number one. Yeah. How do we do this? How do we help you? Yeah. How can we help you? And, and unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, so I was in this thing last year and I made it to the top eight and it was all sort of fan voted at the end and I didn't make it. And then for what for reasons I don't know, the fan voting has sort of been eliminated this year. So there is only sort of judge paneled now. So there's really nothing okay. we can do but cross our fingers and hope I just like, you know, rock it out. All so, right. yeah. Well, we'll cross our fingers for you. <laughs> and we hope you get your Meryl moment. Have you already worked on your speech? <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, yeah, I, I often write acceptance speeches in my brain for like Grammys or Oscars or things I have no like place winning. But just like when I'm driving, I just think of what I would say. <laughs> in the like, shower. You have it ready to whip out at any moment. Oh, yeah. I think I'm just like, awesome. if I could only write acceptance speeches like or, or like be on late night talk shows, that would be like, the, you know, like I don't want to do any of the I work. I just want to write speeches and, you know, accept the awards. <laughs> you just want to be there. You could be a speechwriter. <laughs> well, you are very oh, well you. spoken. Like, That's I'm not, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You could be a speechwriter. Or like uh, toasts, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, those are all the things. Like if I can write a really, a really good toast that just makes everyone weep, like those are my, toasts. my proudest <gasps> moments. Uh, wow. I bet you're great at like weddings being like a best Yeah, man. I've only done that once for my brothers, but I think I killed mm. it. Yeah. If I had to be objective, I think I murdered that yeah. job. It was great. <laughs> I bet you did. You didn't start your speech right, with, right. I Googled best man speeches. <laughs> I did not, no. You, you didn't start with that? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Patrick, if you could go back in time when mm. you're reflecting on your 20s, do you have any advice that you would offer to your younger self or to people who are in their earlier 20s right now? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a couple things I really think about, like, my dad was a really big proponent of always sort of telling me like your 20s are your time to like figure it out. So like, just go figure it out. Like, don't put so much pressure on it. And I, I do think I did a very good job of keeping that mindset. So I did sort of try to, you know, that's something I would like make sure like do this again because this worked out really well for you to not be so freaked out. There are certainly days I do it better than yeah. others um, where I would like to. But I think that is there's just so much value of like, you know, I, I guess it was Malcolm Gladwell who said, like, he feels so bad for people in their 20s because they're not old enough to be good at anything yet. And they're told that they have to figure out what to do with their lives. And like, that is a really a truism. Like, you know, I've really been in the music industry for really three years in a, in a professional capacity where I was sort of trying to get my name recognized by people. And for a lot of those time, you're like, you're working on your craft. You haven't had enough time to get good enough at your thing. And I think giving yourself some grace with that, like, you know, give yourself some time. It's not, you don't have to be amazing at it right away. And especially in this industry, you can really feel like you want to be, but there's so much to be said for like the opportunities you didn't get at the time you thought you got them. You probably weren't ready to have them. And you're going to recognize that. And I have recognized that as more of those opportunities come my way later. It's like, Oh, I'm so glad I didn't get this three years ago because I would have ruined it. I would have ruined this opportunity for myself. And it's Mm -hmm. just so hard to see that when you're in it. And I don't know if there's ever a way that you can, but the the idea of like, it's really okay to figure this out for like the next 10 years, you know, when you're 60, it's gonna, it's it's just so 
perspective is so tricky, especially in these kind of like when half of your friends are married and have babies and half of your friends are like blacking out on Friday nights. Like, yeah, it's such a weird. (laughs) We're in a weird time. (laughs) The epitome of your 20s. It's weird. It's just weird. Yeah. So really, I would say like give yourself, you know, give yourself a break would be like the most thing I could advise anyone and would advise myself and still something I have to make sure I'm cognizant of because it's just like there's just so much time, man. Like, don't worry about it. Too much time. Too much <laughs> right. time. Especially in COVID. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah no kidding. Well, uh, Mary, do you have any other questions? No. I mean, anything else? We've, no? we've plugged a lot of your upcoming projects. So if totally. there's anything you're yeah. missing or, you know, we'll just put a quick uh, Excel sheet up with all of the projects, right. dates, <laughs> and current statuses <laughs> for people to follow along. No, yeah. it's, awesome. it's so been so fun to talk to you and kind of get in behind the scenes of these things and how they've come about and your humility yeah. in it is is um, admirable. Well, thank you. Well, this was lovely. It was lovely to be on this and chat with you guys. It's been so long since we've all sort of connected. So I'm glad we could do it in this forum. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, any uh, Patrick, I've been following along with you on social media and as you have me, apparently. Well, we know each other. <laughs> it's not unusual. It's not like I'm not like a weirdo. Like we know because <laughs> we're friends. <laughs> yeah. But anyways. Anyway, what I was going to say, Patrick, was that you were actually like when I started coming up with the concept for this uh, podcast, seeing all your stuff on social media, you were actually one of the first people that I was like, I want to talk to him. Like, I want to know what he's doing. That makes me feel very good. uh, So I'm so thrilled that we were finally able to chat with you and, and get some insight on your life. So if people wanted to get in contact with you for any reason, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, well, you can find me on social media just at Patrick James Clark or PatrickJamesClark.com if you want to reach out to me via email. Those are all, those are all the forms. And then keep an eye for Porters uh, by Patrick Clark coming out this fall. Awesome. Yeah, so I was going to ask, uh, do you want to give a little brief synopsis on Porters before we sign off here? Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a sci-fi crime thriller that takes place in the dystopian future of 2069. And it Ooh. sort of blends all of my favorite elements of time travel and thrillers and twists and turns and just like everything i just think is really cool and it's through in one big book and so it's uh it's pretty interesting i hope you guys hope you all like it out there yeah that's super cool we'll link everything uh in the show notes as well to make sure people can get access to that sweet um yeah that's awesome so this has been another episode of the talking 20 podcast make sure to follow subscribe rate and review the podcast on your favorite streaming platform to help us grow And follow along with our shenanigans on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Talking20Podcast. And of course, make sure to download and stream Patrick James Clark on your favorite platform and follow him on social media for all of the updates on all of the things that he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening and see you next week.